Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by www.livinglies.wordpress.com, GTC Honored, and The Garfield Firm, serving all 50 states with news and analysis of the latest bank scams against borrowers, homeowners, consumers, and investors, and providing legal representation throughout Florida. This program is for general information only. It is not a solicitation for services or legal representation and should never be used as a substitute for advice from a licensed professional. And now, here's world-renowned financial expert, attorney, and blogger, Neil Garfield. Hello again, everyone. Charles Marshall here. It is Thursday, July 25th, 2019. As usual, I am broadcasting live from Southern California here on the Neil Garfield Show. And Neil will be back next week. And as for this week, uh, I do have Bill Padilla with me, which I always appreciate having Bill when he's available. Uh, welcome, Bill. Hi, Charles. Thanks for having me on again. Absolutely. And also, as always, this show is brought to you by GTC Honors, Living Lies, and Lending, LendingLies.com. And it is made possible because of donations from listeners like you. Any amount that you're able to donate is appreciated, and you can donate directly by selecting the Donate button on the blog at www.livinglies.wordpress.com. Now, so on to our topic for today's show. Uh, Broadly speaking, we're going to be discussing this trend of the major servicers, some of them, going into bankruptcy protection. Uh, Two of the larger ones, uh, even though in one of the cases, I'm speaking of Aurora, they've devolved quite a bit of their servicing business over the years. So their bankruptcy as a kind of servicing reality in terms of our current borrowers and who's out there in uh, podcast radio land listening right now who's still dealing with their servicers and their lenders and still trying to uh, fend off foreclosure, whether it's judicial foreclosure or of a non-judicial type that, as everyone knows, exists here in California. Uh, the other major uh, filer of a Chapter 11 bankruptcy is Ditec. Now, Ditec, unlike Aurora, this is a much more recent uh, servicing platform. And Ditec, in various manifestations, has been around for a while. Uh, they took over Green Tree's book of business. And just to give you an idea of 
how tentacled these corporate bankruptcies can be. When you look at the DITEC bankruptcy, which was filed, by the way, one one brief uh, one one b- brief um, intersecting mention, both the Aurora bankruptcy and the DITEC bankruptcy. Aurora, by the way, was filed in, in March of this year. DITEC was filed in February. Their Chapter 11s are both in the Southern District of New York, even though neither one of them are headquartered there. And one might reasonably wonder, certainly listeners might reasonably wonder, well, if that's the case, how did these major institutional players, why are they in the Southern District of New York? And I have to tell you that one of the reasons they're in the Southern District of New York is because the Southern District of New York has a major expertise handling these types of corporate bankruptcies. Uh, I would also say, and this is parenthetical and uh, as everything on this show is off the record, so to speak, uh, I, I reiterate as I often do that uh, this is a show to introduce topics, talk about all matters foreclosure-related, and we're not offering legal advice. We're not airing legal conclusions. We're not declaring factual or legal truths. We are presenting topics. We are presenting perspectives. And a perspective that I have from actually working as a non-attorney at a major law firm off of Park Avenue in midtown Manhattan back in the early 80s, a perspective I have is that while Gottschall and Manges, they are the primary firm handling the uh, Ditech Holding Corporation bankruptcy. While Gotcha has been around for a very long time in New York, and they absolutely know how to maneuver the uh, various avenues and uh, alleys and bumps along the way in these bankruptcies on behalf of their clients. And not surprisingly, given their institutional clout, they have developed a, uh, let's say, favorable judicial litigating environment within these bankruptcies. So that's why you will often see these big institutional services and their like corporate uh, comrades when they do go into BK themselves, they will often go to the Southern District of New York. And of course, they have so many interests, they have so many legal interests, they have so many legal entities arrayed in so many different places that they can virtually always find a hook to justify filing in New York. And so that's an important component to this. They're getting an absolutely favorable airing and hearing by being in New York as opposed to any number of other states where they might field these bankruptcies. Uh, so the one thing that's striking when you look at the, uh, well, whether it's the petition or whether it's just various filings that have gone into this bankruptcy, and I believe 
he'll has a reference to the case number on his blog so that uh, listeners can look that up. I mean, you will see no less than 15 legal entities, all legal entities associated with, uh, you know, legally connected to Ditech Holding Corporation. They're sort of almost like DBAs. Of course, they're legal corporate entities, not DBAs. But the analogy there is all of these 15 entities are within this corporate bankruptcy of Ditech Holding Corporation. And they include, principally for, for listeners to hear on this show, Ditech Financial LLC and Green Tree Servicing Corp. Now, Green Tree Servicing Corp, a few years back, devolved their servicing rights to Ditech Financial LLC. And now all these entities are in a New York bankruptcy. So there are some interesting aspects to the Aurora bankruptcy also, but I'll be talking more about the Ditech one because the Ditech one relates much more closely to the topics on today's show. And before I, uh, I get into the, uh, the meat and bones of all this, uh, Bill, why don't you bring in now this connection with a recent quiet title action that I believe you're still involved in uh, that had MERS as one of the major elements. And interestingly enough, it's got three of the major players in the Aurora, you know, bankruptcy backdrop, though uh, Lehman, Lehman Brothers that then spun off a good deal of their mortgage, kind of bad debt to Aurora, and then Aurora did likewise with Nation Star. And there's also an interesting intersection that I that I believe you you will touch on where with some of these um, bankrupting parties, on the one hand they say they're just spinning off servicing rights. On the other hand, they say that they're spinning off the entire uh, so-called right to collect the note, the deed of trust. In other words, that they're holders of the note. And, of course, that distinction is essential because when in bankruptcy, for instance, when some of the listeners, the borrowers go into bankruptcy, if a proof of claim is is brought by their so-called servicer or lender, it's often brought by the institutional trust or in some cases a backdrop backup parent company which purports to hold and control the note. Now that may or may not be the servicer. It depends on whether when a servicer is given rights to service, they're also given the agency to control the underlying note. So Bill, if you would speak to all that. Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, I know when you came up with this topic, I thought, well, this kind of plays in uh, nicely with uh, the show that we did two weeks ago regarding MERS and MERS's uh, agency and authority and their membership contracts, so on and so forth. And um, and what what you're talking about here, and, and this is 
you know, from my chair, when I do a chain of title analysis or I look at defects and deficiencies and all those things, um, especially with all these large institutions, whether they were lenders, servicers, or whatnot that go into bankruptcy, it always uh, creates all kinds of issues and gaps and problems with uh, their chain of title to the notes and the deeds of trust mortgages. Um, and what they do is they bring in MERS, of course, as the big blanket to cover and uh, use as the shield to hide and disguise all of these defects and deficiencies. And instead of getting into all the, the specifics that we talked about two weeks ago, certainly the listeners uh, understand that you can go to uh, blogtalkradio.com uh, slash Neil Garfield, and you can archive the old shows and listen to them. And I would recommend that you do that uh, so that I don't have to spend time repeating a lot of what we talked about. But um, what's really interesting uh, with these uh, cases is that when an entity like, entities like Ditech here, they go bankrupt, um, it doesn't really stop the flow of foreclosures and documents and papers uh, continuing to be filed in whether it's a judicial foreclosure or non-judicial foreclosure. If the time comes uh, in the cycles to declare the default and to proceed to foreclose, they're going to start executing um, assignments and all of these things to, to you know, carry out the, uh, the, the, the foreclosure, right? And what, they're, what you're going to see a lot of times is uh, MERS, for example, will start executing as themselves or as nominee for uh, certain entities. And you'll look at that and say, well, wait a minute here. If, if there's a bankruptcy, um, what authority do these parties have to continue doing operations outside the purview of the uh, bankruptcy estate? Now, correct me if I'm wrong here, Charles, but it's my understanding that when these institutions file a bankruptcy, uh, one of the first things, I mean, everything kind of comes to a, a, a stop, essentially. And in the bankruptcy plans that are filed, there's usually a section talking about executory contracts. And those would include, for example, um, the agency agreements or contracts that they would have with MERS, for example. Uh, we know that those exist, and we know that we have uh, one example, the New Century bankruptcy, where we have the bankruptcy court terminating the uh, executory contract with MERS, and, and it's very clear, it's in the record, so on and so forth. But there needs to be, at some point, a hearing, uh, and, and, and the court has to issue an order as to what contracts are going to be terminated, if there's going to be parties that are going to assume uh, those contracts, who they're going to be assigned to, so on and so forth. But until there's a court order determining it, uh, my understanding anyway is that things pretty much are at a standstill in terms of continuing to conduct business under these uh, these contracts and these relationships. Now, uh, what we talked about, <clears throat> um, or what you hit on here just a second ago, when you talk about servicers' rights, uh, there's another case out of New York here that um, I'll touch on it here a little bit later in the show uh, regarding Ditech in the same bankruptcy uh, court in the Southern District of New York um, where well, I guess I should just bring it up now I suppose um, sure. the court gets yeah, go ahead. yeah I mean the court gets real uh, it's it's a, it's a case that uh, an order just came down in fact the day before Ditech filed its bankruptcy um, and it's the Ben Yaman is the debtor in that case, uh, B-E-N-Y-A-M-I-N. Um, and the court really takes the task 
the fact that Ditech filed a proof of claim saying that they're the owner and the creditor uh, in in the bankruptcy action on the behalf of the debtors, and they later find out that uh, Freddie Mac, you know, the thing was sold to Freddie, and Freddie owned it and everything else, and so they they really take them to task on their uh, carrying out their burden of proof, so to speak, to prove their uh, claim in the proceeding, and this is what we see all the time. Uh, servicers file actions um, half the time claiming that they're the creditor to whom the debt is owed, whether it's bankruptcy, whether it's foreclosure, and then you later come to find out that, no, this thing was uh, uh, securitized, it was pledged to a certain trust, there's all kinds of parties, um, and then when you expose them, then they backtrack their story and say, oh, well, we're just the servicer. And uh, so kind of that's what happened here. But I love what the court says here in its analysis, and they they um, Ditek filed for a motion to reconsider uh, that basically the claim was expunged. They canceled it against the debtor, and they moved to reconsider, and the court can't, comes back and, and hammers them again. And the court says, quote, the fact that Ditek may now have possession of the note, what ink originals endorsed in blank, in my view, is not in, an, in itself sufficient. I want to know the who, what, where, when, and why. Title to the note, Ditech's role as servicer, and all of those facts. goes on to say the proof of claim was not entitled to be treated as prima facie evidence of validity and amount because of the numerous inaccuracies found in the document and the lack of supporting documentation. Now, that is all we've ever asked, and that's all we seek in these cases, the who, what, why, when, and where, all right? And, you know, I uh, had a little debate uh, with a, an attorney in Oregon here just a couple days ago where he came to me with a, a court judgment where Nation Star was the uh, plaintiff, and they had filed an actual uh, judicial foreclosure in Oregon where it's traditionally a non-judicial state. And Nation Star uh, obtained a judgment for the foreclosure, and uh, he had me, had me take a look at it, and I said, well, first of all, Nation Star um, is not the uh, beneficiary of the deed of trust. It's, it's, I found it. It's in this other trust, and I showed him all the information, and he says, well, yeah, but, you know, in Oregon, servicers can foreclose in, in, in the name of the beneficiary. And I, and I said, but where in the complaint does Nation stars say that they're the servicer. Where in the complaint do they disclose the trust? In fact, the complaint says Nation Star is the creditor to whom the debt is owed. And I kind of had a little debate on him and, and had to kind of put his head straight here a little bit to say, sure, servicers may have authority to do this on behalf of the beneficiaries if they uh, show their authority and prove their authority to act in their agency, to act on behalf of that beneficiary. Simply going in and getting a judgment in your own name and never disclosing these parties is 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 a very, very problematic because uh, had they gotten away with it, or if they do get away with it, who's to say that, the, that they're going to turn the proceeds over to anybody but their own back pockets? <laughs> so... Um, anyhow, uh, the bankruptcy stuff, which you have to look at from a discovery perspective, and again, as we talked about two weeks ago, is that if the party is a MERS member, uh, then 
you need to go in and find out what's the status of the executory contracts, and you have to go in and discovery and find out uh, what exact authorities they have, get those membership app, uh, agreements and so on and so forth. But as I said before, last uh, two weeks ago, in in the Lehman uh, Aurora situation and their bankruptcies, these Lehman trusts, their main depositor, who is in all of their purchase agreements, essentially, where it was structured asset securities court, SASC, uh, for the acronym, where they were the ones purchasing and selling, you know, uh, that's what the documents say, the assets, loans and mortgages and deeds to the trust. And if that's the case, MERS has already admitted that it has no agency relationship with SASC, which requires under MERS rules to deactivate and to resign in the chain of title. Okay, So SASC then, if the loan had gone into, let's say, the 2005 trust in this quiet title action that I was talking about, then not only was MERS deactivated, but the only way MERS could have ever come back into the equation is if there was an assignment coming from the non-MERS member back to MERS. And at that point, SASC, Structured Asset, filed bankruptcy in the Lehman estate. So uh, now you have these dead entities with no authority to do anything, and yet MERS continues to uh, continue to operate and act as though they have the authority. So this is about challenging the authority of the servicers, MERS, and everybody, and showing the proof. And just like this court said here in this Binyamin case, I want to see Ditech's role as a servicer. I want to see all the facts. And I'll tell you, if, if we can just get more judges to take this position and say, I want to see the facts, um, they're, they're in a world of hurt. And, in fact, I think most listeners will recall the famous case in South Florida here at the end of 17 with Beatrice Butchko, the, uh, the uh, judge who was going to hold the Ditech attorneys in contempt, criminal contempt of court, for not providing the evidence and the facts to which uh, they said that they had, which was, I believe, the uh, boarding process, manuals, and the stuff for the training, and things of that nature. They had nothing to support it. And, in fact, that judge took them to task and, and was going to hold them in criminal contempt. So, um, anyhow, I'll, I'll, I'll let you uh, uh, chime in here again, Charles. Oh, absolutely. And uh, right, in terms of the uh, – I'm not sure if it's Benyamin or Benjamin, but either way, that particular case, uh, Freddie Mac was actually uh, critically involved in that as well. And in the motion to reconsider, Ditech actually went from alleging variously that they were in control of the note and the ultimate holder in due course – and yet on the motion to reconsider, all of a sudden they're alleging that Freddie Mac was the holder in discourse. So, of course, that didn't sit very well with the judge who was hearing the motion to reconsider that you would have such a, a flip, a switch on who really controls the note, who's the real owner here. It just – it does show that uh, in that particular case, Ditech's representations were hopefully inadequate. Now, in terms of, of how this all plays out um, with the Ditech bankruptcy in general, one thing I have noticed is that the naming of entities 
creates a huge uh, kind of traction one way or another. Because it is certainly true that the Aurora bankruptcy has not uh, created an environment where, let's say, a borrower who still has Aurora in the chain of title, that Aurora might declare bankruptcy, and they have declared bankruptcy here, and that they're, they're in the middle of their 11. Even so, even if Aurora is in a lawsuit that you happen to be involved in, particularly as a plaintiff, yes, Aurora itself can have the action stayed relative to its own entity. But whoever's servicing, and often that's going to be NationStar in the current environment, which, of course, has reconstituted yet again as Mr. Cooper, which sounds like uh, a marketing ploy and arguably is. In any event, uh, NationStar, a.k.a. Mr. Cooper, that servicer and a lot of uh, current uh, borrowers, not borrowers who are, who are current, but borrowers who are still borrowers, despite all the, the difficulty in dealing with their lenders and services all these years. Uh, borrowers with Mr. Cooper as their servicer, quote-unquote, they will find that the Aurora bankruptcy will not impact them favorably. Uh, it's, it's highly unlikely they'll be able to get a stay in, in whatever side of the case they're on. And it is regular law that the stay really applies to the debtor who is on defense. In other words, if you're a debtor, whether you're a Chapter 11 corporate debtor or whether you're an individual borrower debtor, and let's say a 13 or a 7, sure, you can get a stay related to collection activity against you. But if you have a plaintiff's lawsuit going, then that's another matter. Then the issue becomes standing, because generally the stay will not be held to apply to you, and that's black-letter law and case law in all bankruptcy districts around the country. It's not to say there aren't exceptions. It's not to say there, there aren't complications. There are, but that's absolutely the general rule and the general tenor. On the other hand, oftentimes the plaintiff will have a standing problem, because whenever you're in bankruptcy, you're not supposed to be recording documents, for instance for instance. And here, Chapter 11, DITEC, if they're going to record documents, certainly in the non-judicial world, I believe this also would apply in the judicial closure world. That's I'd be interested to hear from any listeners who uh, let Neil know in particular, uh, who have DITEC suing them, and DITEC was suing them, let's say, last year or this year, and their case is pending in a judicial foreclosure. I'd like to know if those cases were stayed. I'd like to know if DITEC was found to have major standing problems or even dispositive standing problems because of the Chapter 11 bankruptcy, because they're not supposed to be able to record documents at all related to any property in which they claim to have an interest, unless and until they have a bankruptcy hearing in order about specific properties that would allow them to record documents. In fact, uh, I've seen situations here in Southern California where there were efforts by the uh, institutional people to have Liz Pendens removed. And borrowers should know that 
if somebody demands that you have a list pendants removed where DITEC is the current servicer, there is absolutely an argument that you have available that you can't record a document. Even if it's to withdraw the list pendants, you still can't record that document unless and until you got permission from the bankruptcy court, the Chapter 11 bankruptcy court, because that involves DITEC's interest in recorded documents. So that's an argument that absolutely can be made and has been made, and I should say successfully made. Uh, the other uh, angle to this that's critical. The other angle to, to this that's critical is that uh, you're only going to get a stay generally, not just on the issue of plaintiff versus defendant, whether you are um, of a defensive side or not, where you have the entities themselves that are servicing, that have the collection rights. They need to be in bankruptcy themselves. If there's another entity that's in bankruptcy, they may have a similar name, they may be connected, but if they're not in bankruptcy themselves, you may not be protected. I was also going to address the uh, Aquin becoming PHH uh, aspect. I will do that in uh, my next show. And thank you again, Bill, and thank you, listeners. Thanks, Charles. Thanks for listening to our broadcast. We hope that you tell your friends about us and let them know that there is hope and help in this financial crisis. Tune in every week to The Neil Garfield Show for free information and advice and visit our blog daily at The Living Lines Blog. We provide support services, the latest strategies, analysis, expert consultations, testimony and declarations to use in your battle against the largest economic crime in human history. For information concerning Neil, the team at Living Lies, or the law firm, go to www.livinglies.wordpress.com or call 520-405-1688. The opinions expressed on this broadcast are those of the host and should not be attributed to any other person or entity. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.